Hey everybody, I just wanted to give a quick update about my mom since I brought it up last week. Um, not really any big changes in the positive. It's one step forward, two steps back. Um, yeah, she's uh, she's been sedated the whole time, so I don't even I don't think she knows what's going on. So hopefully she's not like in too much pain or discomfort. Um, but yeah, she's already had three surgeries. She's on her third hospital. She's been transferred twice. Um, and it's looking like she's gonna be in the hospital for a while. And because we live in America and we don't have socialized medicine, we're gonna have some bills. Uh, so my sister set up a GoFundMe and I put the link in the show description. If you would like to help out, if you can, you know, any amount helps, that would be very much appreciated. Um, and thank you to everybody out there in the synth community who has already chipped in. It's just, it continues to blow my mind how awesome our community is. All right, onward and upward towards positivity. Let's get into this uh, episode with the great, wonderful, legendary Suzanne Ciani. Hello and welcome back to Podular Modcast. My name is Tim Held, and I'm super excited to have Suzanne Ciani back on the show. Um, so yeah, that's going to be coming up here in a moment. We had a great chat, and uh, the Patreon bonus uh part of the episode is really, really good too. So if you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking over here at Podular Modcast and get some cool bonus content like, you know, extra episodes and whatnot. Um, oh, key change. I forgot what chord I started on. Anyways, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. Thank you to everybody who has signed up recently. It means a lot. And uh, yeah, I, I just really want to keep pushing and get more people so I can and get more resources because truthfully I could not do the show without Patreon not at least in the capacity that it is right now um, it is almost a uh, full-time job just with everything involved and it's a job that I love and uh, I've gotten to meet so many great people so if you want me to keep bringing these conversations with some of our favorite uh, manufacturers and artists then again patreon.com forward slash podular modcast I do have a few things to talk about. One of them is the holiday music. Um, I've, I've actually got some really great submissions. Well, I've got a great amount of submissions recently, but I need some more. Um, I can't say that they're great because I haven't listened to them because I want to treat it like Christmas morning. When I go to produce the episode, I get to hear them for the first time. Um, I'm working on some pretty cool stuff myself. Um, I, I, I've got some friends who hate Christmas music and I've, I'm t I've tasked myself to create a, uh, a Christmas track that they will actually think is not good for a Christmas song, but just a straight up good track. Can you do that? Prove it. I would like to say thank you to Novation for this lovely synth. I'd also like to say thank you to Patchworks for their continued support of Podular Modcast. If you wanted to pick yourself up a Novation a Summit or a Peaks, uh, you could head over to P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. That's patchworks.com um, and peruse their excellent 
selection of not only synths like this Novation here, but also synths like the one in this Needham Wordworks case behind me. Uh, all sorts of modular stuff and studio stuff. So once again, that's P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Be on the lookout for a good holiday sale. They're always doing some fun sales over there. Um, I'd also like to say thank you to Afterlater Audio for their continued support. We got some more of the Mutable Instruments Classics modules coming out very soon. Um, can't quite tell you what they are right now, but you're going to be excited. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for coming back to Podular Modcast. Let's listen to this little Christmassy jam real quick, and then we will get into our chat with Suzanne Ciani. Chiani's back on the show. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure. It's so it's nice really to see you. Nice to see you again. Yeah, even if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. The, I, I still not. I don't. I promised myself I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't gush too hard during this chat. But I, I have to say that <laughs> since I've been, you know, I've been doing this show for five years. And if any, you know, people sometimes ask, what's like the coolest thing that's happened as a result? And I don't know why, but I always go back to being like, well, I, I did Suzanne Chiani's dishes in her kitchen because you know, we were hanging out for so long. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I got to sit next to her on her bench while she was playing her bukla. So that I don't think it's going to get better than that. So thank you for for peaking my experience uh, early in it. So it was really yeah. Well, you wouldn't want to be here now because the weather is not that good. It was, that was just so much fun. And we ate, cr I think we had crab and cookies and yeah. <laughs> I'm still eating crab and cookies, you know, because it's crab, <laughs> it's crab oh, season yeah. again. So yeah, I just had crab a couple of days ago. Yeah. The fisherman, oh, the little fisherman, you know, he lives down below me and he brings up fresh crab yeah oh my gosh that is so cool we um yeah. my wife and i got 
a full crab, a full king crab for a Christmas dinner a few years ago with my, my best friend and his mm -hmm. wife. And uh, when we got home, we both had realized like, we've never cooked, like we don't know, we've just had it del like delivered to us. We've never actually, like, what, how much of this is edible? So we had to <laughs> get online and do some research. And apparently, apparently a lot of people have the same question because there are a lot of videos being like, okay, this is the part you're supposed to eat and you can eat this, but you're not gonna like it. <laughs> yeah, even though I've had it so many times, I found myself, you know, throwing away the big part, you know, the other day, it's like, what's wrong with you? You know, because the claws are so obvious, right? But then you have to mm -hmm. go into the rest of it. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mm. Sea spiders. <laughs> um, so it's always, it's always a little bit uh, daunting to talk to someone that's as busy and prolific as you are. But I feel like we had a good foundation laid from our last chat, which was got to be three and a half, almost four years ago now. Um, wow. And you have remained to stay. I just feel like I see you constantly traveling and playing shows. And um, I mean, I'm sure that calmed down during the pandemic and everything. But uh, it seems like you have still have yet to lose your... Uh, your drive and, and, and what's the word, your passion for live synthesis. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Mm -hmm. How's the, how have the past few years of playing all these shows going? You know, I, I frequently, I ask myself, when am I going to stop doing this? But you know, it just seems so daunting. And then the truth is the mental, you know, blocks to thinking you can do something are just that because the reality is that you do something by you know one step at a time and every step is doable so you say oh my mm -hmm. god how can i travel all that way well you wake up you get into the car you drive there you go to the airport you get on the plane you know? yeah yeah <laughs> moment by moment yeah that was yeah, something that i feel like i learned you know like I feel like mid thirties is when I started kind of just started to figure out, you know, how to make my life easier. <laughs> and it was just this realization that I've had is, you know, anything that I'm anxious about or scared of or am dreading is always, almost always much worse in my head. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the creative or the, the things that I'm creating about it, they're much worse than, than the actual experience. And it took a long time yeah. for me to be able to integrate that understanding. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that's been really useful. But you're totally right. Just moment by moment, just do it, you know? Yep. Because the moment by moment is, you know, you're actually in the present. And mm -hmm. the present is not scary. Um, fear is being living out of the moment. When you're afraid, mm -hmm. it's because you're imagining something that's not there. I mean, there mm -hmm. is some fear that happens in the moment, but that's very little, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, most of the fears we're just creating. So, uh, yeah, it's about being in the present, which I'm not, you know, that good at. But at least I recognize the distinction, you know, that, that if I bring myself into the present now... Um, breathing, whatever, you know, then you let go of all that. Yeah. Fear. And, you know, I, I think 
I heard, I'm, I'm not sure if it was uh, like Pema Chodron or um, uh, why am I blank? Uh, Chogyam Trumpa, but he, there's this thing that they talk about with like meditation and Buddhism and when in regards to staying in the moment. And uh, they say that forgetting is one of the more most important parts of of the the whole experience of living as somebody who's trying to uh, be present at all times. And th that was kind of like one of those, almost like a Japanese koan or kind of riddle that I did, couldn't wrap my head around for a while. And I think I figured it out. And of course, like all things in Buddhism, it just seems very simple. It's like, well, if you realized you forgot, well, then you remember, you know, so it's mm -hmm. the going back to it. So, you know, it's, and then that takes some time to say, Hey, I just noticed that I forgot, but I also remembered, I got to remember that I remembered and try to notice that next time I forget. <laughs> well, you could say with that line of thinking that any memory is taking you out of the present. Yeah. So, you know, we're not supposed to pee in our memories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking, I, um, I've always, this is a good segue into kind of modular. I've, when I got into modular, it didn't take me long to start. I mean, of course, this is what, like the height of me studying Tibetan Buddhism and stuff, but, um, the patch, the individual patch just reminds me so much of a mandala. You're spending all this time to make all this beautiful stuff, but you know, they, they wipe the, the sand away and then you pull the patch cables out, you know? So it's, I find a lot of like, like meditative moments when I'm patching. And I'm wondering if you have experienced anything like that. Absolutely. Of course, the patch that I use now is a patch yeah. that I've been using for quite a while. Mm -hmm. So the familiarity of it is something, you know, that I, that grew when I first started with this patch, I had decided on it and I had to write it down. So before a before performance, you did it. yeah, I mean, well, just to recreate the patch before a live performance, I would have to consult my patch listing, which had a double check because each patch has, you know, two sides, right? If it's a, into a filter, you have the filter input and you have the output of where you're coming from. So it's a double mm -hmm. check. And I would rigorously follow my written patch. And it would take me to do a really responsible patch, maybe close to an hour. Wow. To recreate a hundred cables. And that's with knowing where you're going. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, a hundred cables. But now I can do it just quickly because I've done mm -hmm. it so many times. And I trust myself now. And also because, you know, you're thinking about the patch. You're thinking, well, where would I want to go? Why do I want to go here? Oh, I don't, you know, I, and, and so it becomes very logical as you recreate this, um, you know, system, this ecosystem for producing your music, the patch. Mm -hmm. And then of course, during a performance, the patch changes, but not everything. You know, some of your routings, like the audio, where that's going, those, those pretty much stay put. 
How many times do you need to reroute an oscillator? You don't. If you have an audio mixer there, you can access things, you know, selectively. So it's the control voltages that move. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the pulses. So within... Sorry, what was that? And the pulses. The pulses move. Who's driving? You know, is the sequencer Mm -hmm. driving? Marf driving, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so within this this the ecosystem of this patch that you've been playing for a while, um, I imagine you've left yourself well, like you just said, you know, deciding who's driving and stuff. But I imagine you've left yourself some room for either improvisation or um, exploration, or both. Um, is that well? Explore, I mean, I feel like uh, yeah, so it's endless. <laughs> Yeah, improvisation is a different layer. So you have Mm -hmm. to have, the patch gives you your possibilities and you want to maximize those in your own way. How do I get the most, you know, possibilities and, and the most control in the, you know, you, you find that optimum patching and uh, that allows you to dance. So the improvisation is not, you're not improvising, you know, changing your audio positions or, you know, no, you're, you're improvising with the control voltages and the pulses mm-hmm. and, and lots of things, you know, I can riff on a, you know, white noise. I used to joke that I could do a whole concert on white noise. And, <laughs> I believe it. You know, <laughs> it, it's interesting because rhythmically, you know, we lo- we want variety and we want control. And I find it in new ways because of the limitations of what I have. Now, Buchla did this uh, module that was just designed for rhythm. It's I think it's the 252. And I keep exploring, you know, I explore that and I can't integrate it. And I find that just by kind of cheating, you know, I'll play with the attack of an envelope that's uh, uh, circling in on itself. And that gives me a lot of rhythm. And I'm, I'm doing it while I'm listening. So I can actually achieve like rhythmic sub- subdivisions just by changing the envelope. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and all those kinds of unexpected ways to get variety in rhythm. So it's not literal. Do you know the instrument called the subharmonicon, the, the yeah. uh, Moog? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's fascinating rhythmically. Mm-hmm. Don't you yeah. think? Yeah. I haven't played with that, but I have played with um, a complex oscillator system that had something similar to that, that created, uh, you know, either, either stepped voltages if you were in LFO range or, um, you know, just uh, sub sub square wave sequences off of an oscillator that's driving it and yeah it's just wild you can really go crazy on that yeah it's it's very organic and uh yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. so you know this whole grid we started out on a grid you know that's where a lot of our pop music comes from and our drumming and you know this idea that there's four four or three four or whatever and things fit into that mm-hmm. and i think electronic music now really gives us the potential of shifting the grid 
we can still have the grid, but we can dance in it in a way that gives it, a, you know, a non-literal feel, mm -hmm. which is what we want now. People are yeah. tired with the, you know, the grid. I agree. I was tired of doing that in my own practice. And I think that's what drew me to modular. And um, I have, I don't have a dedicated sequencer. I have, I have, I have some stuff that creates random gates and random uh, sequences, but I've never had much joy sitting and programming in a sequence. I, like you were describing earlier, this, you know, hands-on attack on, you know, attack and release of envelopes and, you know, all of this, all of these fun knobs that we get to play with. And then of course, you know, since it was, it, I'm still relatively new to it. I'm only, you know, five and a half years in, I'm still, you know, like, I feel like a novice, uh, but I have, because I haven't been writing actual songs because I like to write, you know, on a piano or a guitar or something, if I'm going to actually write a specific melody, but getting away from that for these past five years has made me really cut my teeth in the exploration of exactly what you were just talking about, the organic nature of it and the soundscapey nature of it. And I feel like I've reached a point now where I'm very motivated to bring a piano and guitar in for my writing and then garnish everything with modular. Um, yeah. And I don't know mm -hmm. what it, what it is about trying to write approachable or digestible grid like music on the modular, but it just doesn't really excite me very much. Mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. like that's definitely kind of a basis for your, your approach to it too. Well, um, you know, I just did a project in Amsterdam mm -hmm. with the um, Amsterdam dance event and oh. it involved playing with an orchestra. Oh and gosh. so, yeah, I mean, it just literally blew me away. I mean, being on stage with the horn sections and the percussion and the string sections and the, oh my God. It you know it was just amazing. It was amazing, and then you know my next concert was in, I think Athens, and it was back to solo bukla, and I just felt you know so bereft. And where oh, was no. everybody? <laughs> yeah. um, but also you need uh, you need some kind of a stabilization to play with other instruments. You know, you have to have some reference points that are uh, noticeable so, you know, you can inter interface. So there was a combination of randomness and predictability. Yeah. So I, I want to, if we can, um, talk about that specific experience because um, I've just instantly got a million questions, but I would assume that you were almost like the conductor or centerpiece because I imagine it would be easier to get them to come to you than for you to try to find your way around them or, and how long did you prepare for this and, and what's going to be the outcome an album or a, was it or a video? Or... Yeah, they did. Sorry, that was um, all my questions they... at once. <laughs> <laughs> it was recorded in, in all aspects, you know, video, and they did an amazing job because the, um, the television station did it. So they had, you know, these big, um, you know, cantilevered video cameras and things like that. So it was very well done. I've seen the video. It hasn't been released yet. 
and the audio is amazing. The sound engineer was just spectacular, you know, to handle all that live, and he did a great job. Um, for me, it was learning sometimes to, to step back because it wasn't just about me. Yes, I was a centerpiece and I was there, um, but I, you know, my job was really to create space also for the orchestra and the conductor was brilliant, Simon Dobson. And the only thing, you know, that we discovered was that I had to provide a click. So, you know, tempo in the bukla is very uh, fluid. There is nothing that allows you to program 120, 98, 60, whatever. No, it's a knob and you move that knob, you know, where you want and and so I had approximate tempi that he knew about and they did the orchestrations. So I gave them, uh, let's say scenes, nine bukla mm -hmm. scenes. They orchestrated to them. Then on playback, I, I took the bukla pulse and I put it into a drum machine, a Korg Volka, a nice little oh. travel worthy drum machine. Yeah. And, uh, and pre-programmed a few different sounds for the click and divisions of the click so that those could be changed during the performance. And uh, everything worked like a dream except for the day of the performance. We of got course. to sound right? <laughs> <laughs> And for some reason, the click wasn't working. I'm not sure what we missed with that, but basically I think where you left off is um, around where you were mentioning the, you were using the Volca. Um, oh no, you were about to tell me the, what went wrong on the day. Did you get through that story? Yes. Yes. And how we just repatched everything, put some foam underneath the Volca to protect it from the vibration in the environment oh, okay. because of all the loud music and, uh, and it worked. And the only problem was that you know, the conductor had a total meltdown, you know, because the truth is that, you know, he needs to have the click. I have played in smaller ensembles where the conductor can listen to the bukla and conduct to that. But in an orchestra this size, we really did need a more definitive, you know, the space was bigger. You couldn't depend on a tight sound with just the sound in the room. And all mm -hmm. the players needed the click in order to be tight. And these are jazz guys who are amazing rhythmically. They can play, the drummer was amazing. I mean, he was just so spot on and, powerful and brilliant and everybody was I, I i don't know of an orchestra that can play on this level in the united states i mean we have classical wow. orchestras and we have jazz orchestras but this was classical jazz i mean jazz classical whoa uh-huh you know yeah it's amazing and when is when is this going to come out like a recording audio or video or anything because this sounds so cool yeah, um, we're we're talking. I, we we have mm -hmm. the uh, 
assets, so to speak. We have the recording, we have the video, now we just have to fine tune everything. So we're going to have a conversation next week about that. Okay. Uh, Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll keep my eye out for that for sure. Um, And I have one more question about this. I'm curious, like, how long were you out there and rehearsing and working with them? You sent them scenes. Was that kind of like, here, get to know these and I'm going to show up you know, the day before the show, or were you out there for a week or a month? Or um, I went out there about um, four four days early, five okay. days. We had two days. First of all, the the orchestra rehearsed by themselves before I got there. Then when with I got scenes. there, we yeah, well, yeah, with the scenes, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then when I got there, um, we had two days of rehearsals with the whole orchestra. And we just went through, you know, half the first day, the second half the second day. One of the things we wanted to accomplish also is because because I play in quadraphonic and the sound is moving, uh, I wanted to process some of the instruments, the acoustic instruments, and send them through my Buchla spatialization. And so we mm-hmm. set up a submixer. And it was finally decided that, you know, I, I, I didn't have enough hands to actually select the instruments or whatever. So that was left up to the sound engineer. So it mm-hmm. was up to him to send a submix to the mixer that then went into the bucla. So I haven't even heard that quadraphonic aspect yet of the uh, oh, wow. instruments because all I've heard is a is a stereo version. So I have to see, you know, you know, okay. quadraphonic. It's wonderful to listen to it live, but it's harder to deliver it uh, as a recording. So that's mm-hmm. tricky. I don't know if we're going to want to do that even. Mm-hmm. So was this sound mixer that was uh, piping in all the sounds in your bucle, was was that person part of their orchestra or is that somebody that you've worked with? No, that was their their engineer. Okay. One, okay. So brilliant engineer, yeah. Okay. So I I mean how much time did you spend one-on-one with with him and just, you know, try to get him to understand what you were looking for. Yeah, unfortunately, we didn't really have the time. Oh, I no. think the time that we would have done this was, you know, consumed by the meltdown of the click yeah. track. <laughs> so, the oh, there's always a meltdown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that sounds like that was a really cool experience. Um, mm-hmm. That I was thinking about something. I was going to ask if you did that in quad, um, but you just answered that. Um, so kind of going back to what we were saying about um, the exploration and uh, the improv and stuff, I kind of something I was thinking about that I really wanted to, which is curious about, um, is how much... How many, like, are you still experiencing the, the excitement of a happy accident that leads to a new revelation within your Buchla system? Because, you know, like, I feel like you're, you're, you're like maybe the authority on Buchla <laughs> operation. Um, so I'm just, <laughs> what's that? Well, I just, 
<laughs> on happy accidents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of happy accidents. I just did a project. So last week, or was it this week? Um, yeah, it just, it ended on uh, Monday. And it was a collaboration with a fellow Buchla artist from Paris named Jonathan Fatusi. And we met, oh. I don't know, just for the years. Do you know him? Do you know Jonathan? Yeah, I have one of his records. I love it. I, I love mm. his stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we collaborated over the pandemic, you know, sending files back and forth. And we, we made a lot of progress. And at a certain point recently, he said, you know, why don't we just finish this up? I'll come over and we'll spend four days in the studio and see what happens. And of course, um, that is the opportunity for Buchla Happy Accidents. Because yeah. when, you know, we did three tracks in three days, right? <laughs> and so you have to have a lot of the, um, you know, the, the, the engine of the music coming from the Buchla. This isn't, you know, my, my studio albums in the day, you know, where everything was multi-track recorded and you overdubbed and you had parts and you did this. Um, we did do some overdubbing. How did we do that? Uh, the Buchla, of course, is running in space. It doesn't have any, I don't use MIDI, etc. So here's how we did it. We were recording in Digital Performer, or any DAW would do, and you go into Settings, and you allow the computer to drive. You know, you you so we had a little drum machine, a Beat Step Pro, mm -hmm. or a Key Step. Yeah, Pro, those are great. Mm -hmm. The Arturia. So you connect that to the computer, and so the computer is sending tempo information to the Key Step Pro. Then the Key Step Pro sends that information to the Buchla. Mm -hmm. So it's the nice. computer that's driving. And you can take that, then you can take a MIDI cable from the Key Step Pro, and you can put it into the Moog One or whatever else you have. Mm -hmm. And it will integrate with the tempo. So it's a very slick way of being able to overdub analog. Because I normally mm, don't yeah. do this. All my live performance recordings are just generated live, you know, four yeah. live tracks, four mono tracks yeah. at once. So, you know, so we did do some overdubbing, um, but most of the content was based on, you know, this technique that I use in the book club, which is, you know, fundamentally has pitches. So even if it's percussion, you know, the drums would have a pitch. They're not really drums, mm. but the percussive sounds. Uh, and then using randomness, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. as, as something that keeps it alive. Because if you're listening to something that repeats endlessly, your ear tires. Um, so, you know, that combination uh, predictability and randomness is what we depended on in this project. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, you know, if it's wonderful. I enjoyed listening to it. I, I don't know. You know, we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, as far as recording goes, that's something that I'm curious about because I know with modular, a lot of people, you know, will just do their stereo out from a mixer. I recently have started practicing trying to get as many of the voices um, multi-tracked as possible, not so much for quantization or anything like that, but more just for me to be able to individually mix them EQ wise and compression and stuff or take something out that I thought maybe got annoying. Um, but how, yeah. how do you typically record out of the Buchla as far as channels? And then, um, and then as far as the, with Jonathan, how did you guys do that? Was it two stereo or just multi? Um, so I record, I always record in quad. I, I can't do it any okay. other way. What, what uh -huh. But we're not releasing in quad, although we could mm -hmm. maybe come back to this and do a quad, you know, it, not everything was in quad. Uh, for instance, any Moog one track was not in quad. Some of it was because here's what I found when you combine, uh, a non moving sound, to a moving track, you know, a track that's based in rhythmic, you know, movement, it doesn't work. You know, you need to fill that space in, in with aliveness, or it just kind of sounds like it's an intruder from some, you know, uninvited place, you know, <laughs> I just... <laughs> I don't know. So I did, you know, eventually everything went through the bukla because okay. the bukla allows the space to process. I'm very excited. I haven't, I just received this module from Erica Synths. Uh -huh. And I haven't used it yet. I haven't had a chance to use it yet. But I'm oh, the really excited. Yeah, it's spatial, but it also has control voltages which is, you know, what I like. I don't like joysticks mm -hmm. because it's too primitive for me, but I don't know. Mm. Maybe I can learn to love them. But um, anyway, I haven't had a chance to do this and I don't do a lot of Euro rack stuff, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm going to integrate this with the Buchla just to test it. And I'm, I'm yeah. very excited yeah. because one of my goals was to have, you know, more spatial design. In, okay. in your rack. Yeah. Mm. That sounds, I can't wait to hear that recording. That's going to be really cool. Um, mm -hmm. So do you guys, did you guys both each have like stereo tracks or I guess, or did he, I mean, did he have a, a stereo tracks or did he also do quad for his side? Um, well, you know, the funny thing was, is when we were here, um, uh, I was mostly driving because it was my bukla and stuff, you mm -hmm, know, mm -hmm. and um, he does play the bukla though, but you know, it's a very personal mm -hmm. instrument and this one was mine. So I, while we were here, I tended to drive the bukla and then he would do some nice tasteful overdubbing on the Moog one. And he does okay. have wonderful sense of uh, taste and elegance. That's mm -hmm. why I like working with him. So I'm very excited. Yeah. One of the pieces we did uh, have, has words. Uh, oh. Yeah. So uh, this is just a real coincidence because one of my favorite poems growing up was a Yeats poem called The Song of Wandering Angus. And this is honestly the one poem that I know by heart. 
And at the end of the poem, there are two lines. And the lines are the silver apples of the moon, the golden apples of the sun. So here we did this piece and we're finishing the album and we're thinking, well, what can we call it? And then I thought, wow, the golden apples of the sun. And this references, of course, Morton Sabotnik's earlier uh -huh, recording uh -huh. of the apples of the moon, which is also Buchla-centric. Mm -hmm. So here we are kind of, you know, 50, 60 years later, you know, and it was justified because without, you know, even thinking about it, that was the poem that was on the record. Oh my God. Uh-huh. Isn't that strange? I love that. Yeah. That is so awesome. I love that. And I think you might be the only person on earth who could who who uh, actually has like I don't know what I'm trying to find the right word but not the right but like yeah yeah Suzanne can call her album <laughs> Golden Apples of the Sun <laughs> if I did that people would be like hey what's going on here Tim <laughs> I know bit yeah whatever word is I don't know. Mm. But, you know, um, most days, yeah, Mort Sabotnik was, you know, this was such an anomaly that a, an electronic music record could, you know, of that nature could even mm -hmm. come out. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that really, that really, I feel like freaked some people out and really broke some people's minds open because there was, there wasn't much that was uh, readily accessible to the general public in that realm of music. You know, I know there was other stuff going on in you know earlier days, but um, but yeah, that's definitely one of the albums, right? Yeah. And and nothing happened, you know, that was none such records. And uh, you know, it was an anomaly. I mean, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. There were none of the major labels, and most of music was put out by major labels, of course. And I tried very hard to get a deal in those days with my Bukla. Mm -hmm. And uh, no go. No, the record labels weren't interested. Yeah, am I remembering right? Is that kind of what steered you into your your new age, like, career of, um, you know, piano music and, and more like desktop synth-driven stuff? Well, how it happened... You know, in those days, you had to have a record deal because there were no formats that you could make on your own. You know, everything was pressed by labels and distributed by labels. You couldn't do that yourself, really. So what happened was that because the major labels weren't interested in my music, I realized that I would have to self-produce my music, which meant a lot of money because there were no home studios and it wasn't something you could just do you know in your bedroom um you had to go out and spend thousands of dollars renting mm -hmm. a commercial recording studio so by the time i made enough money to start this project and it took you know two years i would record for a weekend and then you know, over a period of two years, I did seven pieces. 
Um, okay, I, I, uh, what was I saying? What were we talking about? Um, so the money that it costs to create the album, and so you were trying to find oh, a way to, to way produce to your own stuff. Okay. So by the time I got enough money to uh, actually start this recording, um, everything had changed. Uh, I was no longer doing live bukla. My bukla was, you know, not the center of my world because part of it had broken, part of it had been stolen. Meanwhile, all these companies had come in, Yamaha, Korg, whatever, and there were other electronic instruments. And so Roland, you know, had the MC4 and the MC8. Those, those were the backbones of those early recordings, being able to enter the data, you know, the notes. So, so the, the music was a synthesis of my classical background, which meant notes. You know, it was scored and electronic techniques, which meant, you know, flourishes and fantasies and things going on. And so seven waves, also, there's another factor, which is that in those days, my electronic music was not understood at all. Yeah. And so I, I was very lonely because I would play a concert and people didn't even know that the music was coming from the instrument. It was very distancing so for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know, let me synthesize my classical background and my electronic, and that's what I did. And it was in a way, you know, my subconscious desire to be understood. And also a desire to make something that I wanted to live in, which was a safe, beautiful place, right? The machine was dependable. You could listen to it and it would relax you because you knew that the machine was always going to produce the next beat, no matter how slow it was, in a perfectly, you know, mm -hmm. safe, predictable manner. So um, all of that worked together, and that's what Seven Waves was and the velocity of love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I gotta, I have, I have to tell you my my Seven Waves story because. Um, I, I don't know. So when we were, when, when Ellison from Waveform and I came down to San Francisco, we, we were in San Francisco for a day where we uh, interviewed Dave Smith, um, which was amazing. Um, we, mm. I kept telling Ellison, I have to go to every record shop in San Francisco because if I'm going to be able to find Seven Waves on vinyl, it's going to be in San Francisco. That was my thinking for some reason. And I didn't find it. And then when I got the, to your house, I told you about that. And you were like, oh, you know, I think I have some CDs. And uh, you said, I'll mail you one. And I was thinking, like, that's very sweet. But, like, you know, I'm not going to push on that. I'm not going to, like, try to check in about that. And a few months later, Ellison's like, I got something for you. And he gave me the Seven Wave CD that you sent me. So thank you so much for that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't have a CD player, so it's I just put it in my keepsake box. Um <laughs> But one day, uh, not too long ago, I was sitting at my house on Instagram and there's this record store called Georgetown Records in this area of Seattle. It's a tiny little neighborhood. And they posted, you know, like a, a couple pictures of some new stuff that they had in. And 
they had the seven waves the japanese import on vinyl in like pristine condition and i like called them and i was like is it still there like hold on to it and Mm -hmm. i was like i was thinking i gotta get this before somebody else gets to it and i like raced down there and grabbed it and yeah so i went there right when they opened and got it so now it's you can't see it because it's it's behind my computer but i have it framed on the wall (laughs) you know i had a couple of bucks over the pandemic i i worked on my Mm -hmm. archives is my storage space filled with stuff and i found some boxes of the japanese Uh seven oh nice yeah and so we have sold them they're like uh you know they're a hundred over a hundred bucks a piece i i don't know yeah they're they're so limited and the other thing is that the quality of the japanese vinyl was second to none it was really amazing jbc yeah and it, so I don't, I just good. love the way they look with the, what's that? Did you notice that the artist, the title for the artist on the cover is Suzanne E. Chani? Is that the one I you I don't have? think I noticed that. No. Wow. I don't. Um, look at it. It's up in your room. Look at it. How did I miss that? Yeah. What, is and that your middle the- initial? Yeah, that's my, that was on the contract, you know, the, when I got oh the record God, deal. So funny. Yeah, there was kind of a you know, language barrier, and so, yeah. yeah. I oh yeah. man, well that just makes like I love that kind of thing. That I just now I love it more. Um, it just makes the imports like just so much. Like there's always you know some when they have those little weird misprints or something. It just makes it. I, I like that kind of thing for some reason. Yeah, I can't yeah. Believe I didn't notice that. I think I'm just too focused on like, cause you know, it's got that wrap around it, like imports do, you know, and it's got the different, I just, I just love the, yeah. I mean, the yeah. Japanese art, especially I, of that time. Yeah. Mine are gone What's now. That? I don't think we're, I don't think we you have any have more of those for sale. Yeah. It's oh, gone. Wow. So. Okay. Well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, I was just like, I couldn't believe that of all places, it was my neighborhood's record store you know and it was after we had already met and and done all this and i was because i didn't want to just go online and buy it that doesn't feel special i like if i could have bought it in san francisco when i was coming to talk to you that would have been like more meaningful to me um so Mm -hmm. i I was just i'm gonna wait until the universe provides it and then she did so (laughs) yeah yeah um, so I, I'm curious too. Like, have you had a chance to mess with the the Eurorack Bukla stuff at all? You know, not really. Um, I've you know inquired a couple of times of people what they think of it, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I I think probably you know the Bukla company just moved back here to Oakland. Oh, really? Okay. I don't think I knew that. All right. I've been here for, you know, since Bukla. Uh, mm-hmm. Because when Bukla sold the company, it ended up in Australia. Then it ended up in Minnesota. And uh, was it Minnesota? Minneapolis? I don't know, one of those. Um, and now, Eric Fox, who was, you know, Foxtone, who had, you know, run Bukla supplies for a long time, uh, has taken over the company and they just opened 
uh, a facility or whatever you call it, a, you know, a place in uh -huh. Oakland, which is where I worked for Buchla. You know, when I worked for Buchla in 1969, it was in Oakland. Mm -hmm. So it's really wow. sweet that the companies come yeah, back Yeah, that's there. cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's exciting because I think the uh, the vintage synth museum that was in San Francisco, I think they might have moved to Oakland as well. So that's <clears throat> cool little synth scene maybe developing over there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been curious to check it out. I uh, but I also I haven't really played with much Bukla. I think maybe the most understanding I've gotten, for, I've had two experiences where I've got to like kind of see and have people tell me about how Bukla works. And once was on the bench that you're sitting on right now with you. And then the other was with my friend Kyle, who does the uh, Source of Uncertainty podcast, which I think you were on. Um, mm -hmm. And we still have this thing where I'm going to build him a synth in my my uh, Make Noise Eurorack case, and we're going to trade, and we're both going to try to record some stuff and then record our experiences, because he's not super experienced with Eurorack, so I think that'll be fun. But mm -hmm. um but yeah, I kind of want to, before I try the tip top stuff, I kind of wanted to try an actual Buchla so I could, you know, know what, what, I, what to be looking for as far as like how close are they and, and everything. So I've heard good things. You know, there are two things. One, one thing mm -hmm. is just the sound, you know, the Buchla mm -hmm. sound is magic and, and why, what are they, what, how, where does it come from? I mean, he has the low-pass gates, which are amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not in love with the with the new filter that was at the 291E. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had a clone made of that. But the, the other thing is the controls that you have. So I don't know, you know, does it sound great? That's only part of the formula. Uh, the other part is what can you do with the sound? Do you have enough randomness? Do you have, you know, one of the most important modules was the MARF, the Multiple Arbitrary Function Generator. I don't know, you know, I haven't looked enough at the tip-top stuff to see what's in it, but um, it's a start for sure. It's a start. Yeah. Heard that the I don't think the they've sound... released too many. But yeah. yeah. I think yeah. they actually just announced that they are about to release or just recently released the the actual source of uncertainty um your module so that was the Good. one that i was like i think that if i was going to try one that would be the first one that i'd want to try um excellent excellent so uh mr fox if you're listening um <laughs> no <laughs> um you know, yeah I mean, you know, here's the thing. I, I grew up with Bukla himself, right? And mm -hmm. he never right. chased the market. He wasn't interested in what the masses wanted. He was mm -hmm. a leader. He wanted to design. And if people figure it out, great. If they didn't, great. Yeah. So I think right now the company is, you know, looking for direction because it's come of age again in a, a different climate, you know, a Eurorack climate. Mm -hmm. Do you, you know, Buchla himself would not have followed Eurorack. Right, right. And, yeah. and maybe people would have shifted to his format, who knows? 
But he mm -hmm. thought all through in the beginning. He thought it all through and he maximized the, you know, the size of a module to interface with a human hand. You know, mm -hmm. what was the, the mm -hmm. act really tight, you know, and also to be not too big, like the Moog, mm -hmm. say, that it could be portable. So you could be a musician yeah. and go around and play. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it still just amazes me, like the level of innovation and just how how different would this world of electronic music be right now had he not existed, you know? Because I know, I know, like, yeah, that thing looks crazy. The hand, you raise a hand and it's, that's the shape. Now, isn't that obvious? Yeah, but did mm -hmm. anybody else? Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, they went one above or one below. It's like... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the five U or four, because Buchla is for you, right? You know, I I I don't know. The maybe it's five U, maybe it's six U. Actually, I don't remember. I know it's just one U bigger than the um, than the Euro rack. Yeah, I think I it is for you because I'm just remembering now that the Source of Uncertainty podcast said a Buchla podcast for you. <laughs> Okay, well, let's just look at that because I don't want to make a big mistake here. So I'm going <laughs> to go, through. you know, I know this, but of course I don't keep it. I don't retain this knowledge. Uh, okay, let's see. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. You can also look this up so I don't have to. Let's see here. Boo. Yep, it's for you. Okay. Well, that's a good way to remember it. Okay. And yeah, so Bukla for Euro you. Euro rack. That's three U. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's yeah, and and it's funny. Euro rack is is still a little bit wild west as far as format goes. But you know, when you have all of these companies that have decided to go with you know what what Dopefer thought of, you know, we're still like sorting out the bugs of power supply and everything. So that's a huge advantage of getting into Buchla. I imagine it's just like, well, yeah, it's all it's just all the same stuff. And um, right, well. I'm sure, you know, because I, I have a lot of, you know, I have a make noise system and I love Tony. Mm -hmm. I think he's a great designer. Mm -hmm. uh, the reason I haven't gone into more Eurorack is basically the, you know, the control that I need with the, uh, the multiple arbitrary function generator and the spatial movement. Those two things are indispensable for me for live performance. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, you know, when those start to appear, I, I can uh, explore more. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious, some, this is kind of a, a silly, maybe philosophical question, and you've maybe have been asked this, but 
I'm curious, as somebody who has spent a lifetime with Bukla instruments, how many lifetimes do you think it would take to absolutely master it? Or is it even possible? No, that's the beauty of the instrument, is that it is infinite. Mm -hmm. There's no mm -hmm. at all. It's kind of like a human being. You know, the depth, and, and because it's, it's changing all the time. There's no there, there, right? <laughs> even without consciousness, yeah. without even planning. I look at the, the bukla that I was using even four years ago. It's different from mm -hmm. the bukla I have. Because you can't help yourself. You have the option of choosing and, and having something made or doing this or that. And, and so you do. So it's a fluid system for one. So you'll never get to know it completely. It will always be changing. And just as human beings, you know, they, it's alive. It really is alive. And mm -hmm. so you know, I, it's a relationship. That's, mm -hmm. that's what I think of it as is. And you know, how many people do you know your wife forever? No, you don't. You're still right fascinated and finding out new things and she's changing every day. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we talk about a lot is, you know, like, you know, marriage is an ongoing, uh, you know, experiment and, a, you know, a fun experiment where like we get to grow together and learn actually how to be a married couple because it's not something you really think about as a, a young person, but you know, like after you're married for a few years, you're like, oh yeah, we're obviously both going to grow and evolve and change. And uh, yeah, we got, we got to dial in and we're, and it's kind of, there's an excitement. Of course there's, you know, there's rough patches with every relationship, but I think there's a real excitement to be like, this is a garden that needs to be maintained indefinitely, yes. you know, because if you can't just plant the garden and be like, give me food. You have to tend to it, you know. <laughs> right, you have to take care of it, nurture it, relate yeah. to it. And and that mm -hmm. that the fact that what you do makes a difference is also a very welcome thing. Otherwise you wouldn't matter, you know. It does exactly. matter mm -hmm. what you give yeah. to it. Well, this has flown by and I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know we're, we're over an hour, but do you have time for a couple bonus questions? Sure. That I'll, okay. I, I, you, I do this thing where I ask philosophical questions for the Patreon bonus portion of the episode. Cause I don't want to put too much synth stuff behind a paywall, but I have three questions <laughs> I've been asking people. So here's mm -hmm. the first one. Does the vastness of space uh, impact the way you perceive yourself? Uh, does the vastness of space impact the way I see myself? Absolutely. I mean, in our own little worlds, we are the center of our perceptions and universes, but we have to completely understand that on a, you know, an obvious level, we don't matter. And I think that 
it takes the pressure off of us a little bit. You know, I am not the center of the universe. I did, you know, life goes on. Life will be here whether I'm here or not. In some ways that makes me lazy because I don't, <laughs> maybe I, I give away some of my responsibility, you know, for the planet because mm-hmm. I'll be gone soon. Uh, and and it's, it's nice to say, well, you know, sorry I left so much plastic in the ocean, but, um, you know, I'm not going to have time to solve that. I'm on my way out. I'm almost gone. You know, life will go on without me. And and my life, you know, yes, I'm, I'm small compared to the universe, but I'm also, I have a time stamp on me that I'm aware of in the, in the vastness mm-hmm. of things that I'm going to be reappropriated by the, you know, by the universe. My theory is that, you know, in this life, which is so amazing and magical, really just all amazing. Uh, we live in our bodies. We live as separate beings and, and nature also has separate beings out there. It's not just this mix of undefined molecules. It is, you know, a rose plant, you know, a eucalyptus tree, an ocean. I mean, all these, you know, little building blocks coalesced in certain ways. And I think that when we're gone from this uh, and when we re-merge with... Uh, the universe, you know, that we will lose our the, our identity as we know it. And we won't care because we're not caring <laughs> unless we have an identity. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, it's funny because I think what you just said, I find people and even myself going from one uh, extreme to the other, but to some people that sounds scary or sad. But for me, I, I used to feel that way. But for me, I feel like I've actually been provided relief by that in a, mm-hmm. in a very comforting way of being like, I am, I am made of, we're all made of the same stuff. We're technically, yeah, we're, we're divided on this, at this physical level in our bodies. But, you know, like you said, we're all going to be reappropriated and just recycled. And, and to me... Mm-hmm. That's more exciting than thinking about like Tim's consciousness living for eternity in some puffy white environment. Like, I don't know. That's not as an interesting outcome as the, the what I think the actual uh, outcome is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we don't know what that's going to be like, honestly, I think. Yeah. Our, our, yeah. But it's not scary. You know, here's one thing I notice is that when somebody dies, they're more present in those moments after death than they were before. You know, it's like suddenly they've left their pinpoint location and they're every place. So, you know, a friend's mother passed away and she was like right with me. She was like as real to me 
after she died, maybe more real even. I, I can't, I can't explain it, but she was like filling, she was every place at once instead of bound to this body that we live in when we're alive, mm -hmm. we're bound. And I think those moments, you know, with Don Buchla as well, when he passed away, uh, he was so with me on so many levels. But I think after, honestly, in human consciousness, we lose that, you know, so here it's five years later, six years later, and he's become more distant. You know, I feel yeah. his spirit, you know, has transitioned and maybe he's not not watching over me right now, making sure that yeah, the Buchla yeah. works. <laughs> maybe reappropriation is a full is a is a process and it takes a few years and now he's fully reappropriated to the cosmos. Which is a second in cos you know right. the time yeah, cosmos. Yeah. I mean our sense of time is just oh my God. Yeah, I mean, I was reading in the papers today, you know, that they found something, what, how many millions of years old in this, these uh, mm, people from Denmark, you know, found a DNA sample from two million years ago. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's nothing in, in terms of yeah. the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's funny to think about that. Like, I think the closest we can really get is just understanding that we can't really understand. We can't really wrap our heads around what a million years is. It's a designation, and it's just like we put it up here, and it's like, okay, well, we know what that means, like in units, but like we can't truly fathom that, you know. Uh, well, Suzanne, I can't thank you enough for this. This is so much fun. The only bad part is it went by so fast. But uh, I, is there anything you want to scream from the modular mountaintops before we sign off? Scream? Or? Oh, oh scream. Yeah, yeah. Oh, scream. <laughs> or let's proclaim. See. Let's see. Um, let's see. Hmm. Um. Modular Modcast is Modular Podcast in reverse. <laughs> to say the obvious. Perfect. Thank you so much, Suzanne. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Take, hold. Take care. Good luck. Hope your mom feels better. All right. That is our show. Thank you so much to Suzanne for coming back on. Wasn't that just awesome? I, I swear it just flew by like that. I was so excited to chat with her. And uh, of course, she didn't d disappoint. She's the best. Um, if you haven't seen the documentary Born in Waves um, about Suzanne, then I highly recommend it. Like It's one of those, one of those documentaries that you watch and then like instantly you want to just go straight to your studio and start creating um she's such an inspiration and uh we're just very lucky to have her in our community um 
What else? Thank you so much to Novation for the lovely Summit Synthesizer. I'm loving that. Don't forget to send me your holiday tracks. Um, that, that episode's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know what kind of weird weird thing I'm going to do because I always do something weird. But um, if you have any requests, I'm, I'm open to them. I'm not saying I'll do it, but you know, it might be fun. Thank you to everybody who supports me on Patreon. Very, very much uh, appreciate you. If you would like to help keep the LEDs blinking and the arpeggiators latched. How's that? That's a new one. Um, over here at PodMod, head over to Podula Modcast. Nope. Head over to patreon.com forward slash Podula Modcast. Um, thank you to Patchworks for their continued support of PodMod. And thank you to After Later Audio for their continued support of PodMod. Um we're getting, we're gonna, we're gonna be at five years soon. I can't believe it. Um, it's pretty weird, but I still love doing it. In fact, I think I might like doing it more now. Um, so yeah, thank you for listening because if you weren't out there listening, I wouldn't make the show. Thank you to Board Brain for a mess and Qubit for, um, send me some modules to play with i love i love getting sent modules to play with i love modules did you know that i like modular synthesis okay that's our show for this week um oh i still have some of these modular modcast um shirts that are tie-dyed if you want one hit me up and we'll see what we can do sizes are limited um yeah i'm rambling this week's secret word it's going to be two Ocean Roar. And if you can tell me what that's from without looking it up, bonus cool points. Until next week. <laughs>